Welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I'm your host, Woo! Ian Carlos Crawford. And I'm your other host, Matthew Rodriguez. And today we are joined by... Brian Burns. Woo! Yay! Wow. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'll have you guys know this is my first podcast ever. <gasps> oh my god! <sighs> so if you get nervous, you'll understand. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good at being someone's oh. first time. Don't worry, Brian. Okay, good. Wow. That's what wow. I heard. That's why wow. I'm here. <laughs> and I want to pretend that I had like a really charming wink to go along with that, but I can't wink well. I tried to, well, but... See, that's what sucks about this cyber relationship we have right now. Oh we need an intimate exchange. Do you give like the Rihanna or Britney wink where they can't really wink, so they just blink both eyes? <laughs> and use that emphatic Rihanna finger with the wink. Yeah. I love it. So we're here today, we're gathered here today to talk about two episodes. I think we're getting married by the end of this, frankly. I can feel the energy crackling already. <laughs> Honestly, if there were three-way marriages allowed, I can't imagine two people I'd want to be married to more. Aww. It's happening. Um, so we're here to talk about Revelations and Lover's Walk. And a lot of shit happens in these episodes, so buckle in. It's going to be a bumpy night. Yes. But so... Do- First, since you're a new guest to our podcast, Brian, we want you to tell us your Buffy origin. Oh my god, where to begin? <laughs> um, so, I mean, for starters, I was three and a half years old when the show first debuted. Oh yeah, um, we, we found out that I am significantly older than Brian, um, yes. so that is keeping with the theme of the podcast. <laughs> but only in number, not in spirit, okay? Um, so yeah, so three and a half years old when the show first debuted, so I was not consciously watching it. However... I was kind of watching it um, because I was lucky enough to have two older sisters. My oldest being like the paragon of cool exposed me to all of the pop culture references that I was perhaps a generation too young to enjoy, embrace and worship. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, for whatever godforsaken reason, had a television connected to cable in my room, in my bedroom at like three years old. Nice. So when my sisters wanted to watch like, you know, teen centric WB programming, they would come into my room. And I have memories, coincidentally enough, of, like, season three Buffy. Um, So I was watching it, like, before I could even, like, sentiently sort of turn on a television. Um, So I had memories of it, and I enjoyed it and whatnot. um, But, like, wasn't obviously going about consuming it myself. Um, And then, like, coincidentally, I just happened to catch it in syndication a few years later when I was a whopping six years old instead. Um, when it was starting to be played on FX, and I watched it for, like, by the grace of God, the powers that be. Um, from episode one, I caught Welcome to the Hellmouth, and I, like, begged my parents to get um, blank VHS tapes, and I recorded every episode. That makes like, Religiously. Really seriously. Because I had no extracurricular activities to keep me busy otherwise, so it gave me a hobby. I think my parents were grateful in their <laughs> own way. Um so I was recording all the episodes and watching it and consuming it like on a conscious human level at that point. Um, and that was right around the time that season six was airing. And I started watching it episode by episode on that level too. Yeah, so. I always say that's how I caught up. It was like any episode I missed, it was like, oh, FX is airing them and I would like have my yeah. VHS tape ready to record it. Yeah. Oh, it was crazy. Like I think it was like five to six and then six to seven, two episodes, of, two episodes a day and like five days a week. Yeah, it was great, It was right? like cardio. I loved it. And they always kept me oh, yeah. company on Thanksgiving because they would have the Thanksgiving Buffy Marathon, which was great. Mm-hmm. And I would beg my mother to go watch it in my Nana's living room, I swear to God. And she'd be <laughs> like, Brian, like, play with your cousins. And be like, but mom. Yeah, I would eat a bunch of Spanish so, yeah, food so and then have it on on the TV and it'd be great. Um, with any luck. Eventually, FX moved them to mornings because I remember watching them before school. Yes, did yes, they? Did. Oh, I don't recall that. And I and I am not a morning person, but like <laughs> I would wake up in the morning, like, and my TV was on a timer, and it would wait. I would wake up to like Buffy being on. Like no. I timed my TV so that it would turn on and Buffy would start. What a treat! <laughs> the only thing that would wake me up, frankly, to this day. <laughs> Yeah, I just want everyone to know that um, they need to read an essay that Brian wrote called "If the Loneliness Comes, Beat Me" because I read it and like he and I had been already been friends on like Twitter and Facebook and other social channels um, and Instagram, but I we had never really like had a one on one chat until he published 
this piece and I like had to message him and tell him that it was amazing. So I just want, I was shameless plug for everyone to read his essay. I'm blushing right now. (laughs) I truly am. I'm actually Googling it right now. That's very sweet. Don't read. We're doing a podcast. (laughs) I'm just bringing it up. (laughs) But there is a quaint little photo of me associated with that article that you should look at right now, Ian, of me with my Sarah Michelle Gellar cut out. Oh my God. Brian, I have one too. <laughs> yes, I, I don't. I, but what's the, the biggest shame is that I have no idea where she went. I don't have her to this day, and I wish that I did. I'd sleep with her on a nightly basis. Let me tell you. I don't. I don't know if it's worse or better than mine was in my parents' basement. Oh, was, that's where that photo's taken is my parents' basement. Don't you worry. Great. Well, yeah, <laughs> it was like a little like it was kind of like me and my brother had it as like our play area, and then that's where I kept my Buffy. And then the basement flooded one year, and Buffy. <sighs> I came back, like, I went downstairs, and because it had flooded and, like, was up to the ankles, the cardboard cutout had flopped over onto the, like, water. Oh, so oh. it was just, like, completely ruined, and I was so upset. <laughs> oh, how heroic so, would it have been if she survived the flood? I know, right? <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play bad cop, and I'm gonna move us to the gotta. Um, I... So, Revelation has a lot happening in it. Yes. Um, and I think we try to we try to stick to some kind of order when we talk about the episodes. But I think for Revelations, we should talk about just um, we shouldn't talk about an order. We should talk about several different things Each that hit different us. Each thing, yeah. Each different thing. Which number one, I think, obviously, is to talk about Gwendolyn Post. Oh. Actually, <laughs> Half of, um, so half of me almost wishes we had gotten a few episodes of her before it was revealed that she was evil. I agree. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that the actress who played her is um, so good. She she was so good. She seems like I don't know. She just seems like an early. She almost seems like an early '90s movie villain. Like she's a single white female. She's the she's the hand that rocks the cradle. She's like all of those types of women villains who come in and who are just like very creepy and want to like take over your life and shit like that with cheekbones to kill no (laughs) i I thought the same thing to the point that i didn't research this but i was curious if she had other roles sort of before that or after that because she was a very convincing actress i didn't even know if she was actually british or not her accent was good she is chris i think she's kristen scott thomas's sister well there we go oh my god queen (laughs) (laughs) oh my god shout out to their mom for birthing kristen scott thomas and (laughs) post actress seriously that's a genetic (laughs) jackpot (laughs) hello cha-ching yeah um so yeah no i love i really do like Gwendolyn post and i like the idea of faith getting an authority figure that she actually responds to but I also think it's a little weird. I don't know. Like, Faith is so anti-authority that she seems to slip into liking Gwendolyn a little too fast. Yes. And I think that's the biggest sort of, as you said like earlier, like I think it's a shame that she did only have the one episode to sort of be present on. Because I think the fact that, I mean, to my knowledge, she's the only female watcher in the entire series, correct? That we're exposed in, to che- in checkpoint when they there's, when the yeah. when this when the watcher oh, comes, yes, um, yes, yes. there's a female watcher who really does is not vibing on Buffy mm-hmm. and hates them all. So well, yeah, it's not a shame that the only female watchers we get exposure to are less Kill. enjoyable characters. Or, or less What's that about? Yeah. Um, well, eventually all watchers are killed anyway in a big explosion, <laughs> except except Giles. So <laughs> lucky. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know they don't have to live through the current administration. What? <laughs> um, so, yeah. So I, I always feel like it's a little unearned. Like I feel like they're like, okay, we get a relationship between Buffy and Giles that is so nuanced or whatever, and like it takes so long for Buffy to get to the point where she like trusts and starts to like think of Giles as like her family and stuff. And I just feel like for Faith to be so anti-authority. And for it to happen so fast, it's almost just, like, one of those writerly things where, like, okay, we need to just make this happen. Like, we just need to, like, pretend that Faith thinks Gwendolyn Post is her watcher and cares about her in, like, 20, mm. in 20 minutes because we need to get to point B by the time the episode's over. Agreed. It, felt, it feels like sort of a, a very heavy-handed sort of first attempt at showing Faith is the fallen slayer, you know, because it's sort of, like, exhibit numero uno of her being the less intelligent, less rational, less yada, yada, yada version of Buffy. 
and like her so quickly trusting someone that shouldn't have been trusted is you know well and in our fuel previous, for the ultimate fire in our previous episode when we talked about band candy um our guest was talking about like the season and authority figures and how this season is all about how adults can't be trusted and Gwendolyn Post is like another iteration of just like an adult who is bad and an adult who just mm. like fails all of the main characters terribly. And yet and with such turns- great hair. <laughs> I oh also think she has Cross great elocution. Seriously. <laughs> she does have great elocution. Right? She does. I know she's speaking directly from the front of the lips. I love it. <laughs> I watched, I watched <laughs> I this episode. Do. I just rewatched it. Um, when I rewatched it for the podcast, I had my headphones in and like, her voice sounded so crisp in my headphones. It's like, I thought I had changed a well, sound setting. She also really, like, she op- she acts like a Batman villain. Like, at the <laughs> end, when she, like, hits Giles over the head with a teapot, and she's like, good show, Mr. Giles. <laughs> like, she, she really talks like a movie villain, and yeah. it's so good. Like, she's, she's just, like, she really slays. She's, like, chewing too- up the scenery, but in, like, the best possible way. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, um, so the only reason I think that the faith trusting her is earned because I, I viewed it as faith is like quick to trust her because faith's mad, at Buffy. And like, that's literally the only reason like she feels spurned by the girl she has a crush on who isn't giving her all the information. And like when Buffy's like, I don't really want to talk about Angel and faith like clearly feels like hurt. Like, it's almost like when your crush is like, no, I don't want to talk about that to you. And you're like, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. because I do think Faith had a big crush on Buffy. Um, Ooh, I've never thought of it that way before. And this episode is actually the first episode where they like, I don't know, for me, they ramp that up, like with them making the joke, like, oh, we're really, we're just really good friends. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> you know, they do make that joke. I think that it's a lot of things. I think that Faith is on some level in love with Buffy because... Faith is 175% queer, and anyone yeah. who says otherwise is wrong. Yeah, for sure. Um, Just look at that bicep tat, okay? <laughs> but I says think, it all. And I think we can all, in some way, there's this, like, straddling between, like, loving her and wanting to be her, yes. which we've all, I'm sure, experienced. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, not really sure which one it is. Like, do I compliment this person, or do I actually want what they have? Like, yeah. what yeah. is my role with this person? And then obviously the show on a larger scale macro scale look is about alternate families and in groups and out groups. And this episode really plays with like, what is faith's place in the group? I mean, last episode on band candy, she wasn't even in the episode. And so the Scoobies had a whole kind of um, adventure without her. Right. And now Gwendolyn even plays with this with faith, like telling her like, Oh, they were having a secret meeting without Mm -hmm. you. Um, and it's like, girl, they also, like, slayed a sewer demon without you last week. <laughs> yeah, like, let me tell you about this shit. And sell chocolate. Yeah, and sell chocolate. Faith's like, I want to sell chocolate. <laughs> I want that badge, too. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think that this is the this is really the beginning. I mean, we'll get to that later, but this, is, this, this episode is obviously the beginning of the Buffy Faith rivalry because mm. they have their first fight, but I don't want to get to their first fight yet, but let's be good playwrights and show the first fight now and come back to it in the third act of this podcast. <laughs> okay. <Duh. laughs> um, what I really want to talk about, cause we are kind of going in some kind of order is one of the great Buffy library confrontations. Oh, uh, yes. Oh, that, the, the micro intervention Intervention, yeah oh my god that was there's like i i haven't mapped it out but there's like a a great trilogy of like confrontations in the library or just like (laughs) confrontations where like everyone is talking and the group has to like everyone confronts everyone i Uh, i'm not doing i statements giles (laughs) right oh my gosh so we have to talk about the i statements line from willow (laughs) is i think i think willow i mean I think Alison Hannigan is fucking fantastic as it is, but I think she does, like, such good acting in that scene because she's, like, panicking because she doesn't want them to... She legitimately wants to help and talk to Buffy, but Xander's being Xander, and Cordelia's kind of, like, being selfish about it, and Oz isn't saying anything, and Willow legitimately wanted them to help. So, like, that was actually one of the big things I wanted to talk about. Like, 
how do you guys view that scene? Because every time Xander talks, I'm like, this is totally fucking unfair. But, like, I get what Willow and Giles are coming from when Giles is, like, reminds her, like, he tortured me for pleasure. Like, I would mm. probably be really fucking pissed if I were Giles, too. I do have to say that Cordelia walked away from that intervention with the finest I statement of, I feel worried about me. <laughs> <laughs> I truly I truly believe she, she won that argument. <laughs> well, I I think that's that's correct. Um, <laughs> she has the most memorable thing. But I think that like the beauty of that scene. So I kind of disagree with you, Ian. I don't think that Willow is as much on Buffy's side as we think she is. I think she's super super concerned, and I mean, she does say I think that when it comes to Angel, you don't see straight. She's so right. I, and mm. I also think that like if you think back to like. Um, Dead Man's Party Willow that we can't trust Willow to be on Buffy's side as much as we think she is automatically all the time I think that Willow is not on Buffy's side but she is on the side of like guys we made an agreement that we were going to follow the rules to use I statements (laughs) and to me like that's what her character is doing in this scene like she doesn't like that Angel and Buffy are like seeing each other and that Buffy's kept this secret but Willow is really into the rules of decorum and like the rules of the way things work. And she's really mad that like people are straying from that order and that kind of like knocks her off. And she does like Agreed. Her. Yeah. Because I think if you think about it, like Willow really has the least amount of cards in the game, if you will. You know, because Xander's still dealing with his blatant attraction to Buffy and endless frustration with Angel and Cordelia is always thinking about herself and Giles was obviously tortured and lost his girlfriend at the hands of Angel. But Willow, I mean, was probably the least affected by Angel's behavior out of all of them. And to that day, you know. So, I would agree with you, Matthew. Alright, that's fair. Um, but and then I, do, you... I do think Giles, but like, right, like, Giles is right, though. Like, I think he has every right to be mad. Oh, for sure. I don't, so here's my thing. So obviously, I mean, if we were all in the Scooby gang, we'd probably all be pissed at Buffy. But l- like, I think that I also feel like, does anyone at any point be like, oh, we get it that like Angelus is a demon and Angel is not? Like no one ever really brings that up. And I want someone to just kind of be like, well, we get that Angelus did this shit. And like, I guess right now you're not interacting with Angelus. You're, you're interacting with Angel. Yeah. I don't know. Does that make mm. sense? I mean, I I also sort of felt like this intervention kind of took on like a domestic violence metaphor where it was almost like all of Buffy's friends sitting her down to tell her, like, if he hits you once, he'll hit you again, you know, and like, obviously, this is a different, a different individual, really, you know, than, than he used to be. And I could see them sort of wanting to play into that. But, yeah, no, it just felt a little heavy handed to me. I mean, I still, yeah, I still, it's not as bad as the intervention in Dead Man's Party or the fight that they have with her in front of all of her friends, um, uh-huh. but I did feel like, I don't know, I I just feel like if I were, if my boyfriend was murdered by someone and then I was tortured by them, and then, like, the person I'm really close with was like, no, they're changed now, I'd be like, no, mm-hmm. they killed my boyfriend and tortured me, I don't care. Um, and I mean, Xander just doing it because he wants to fuck Buffy, which is so fucking annoying. Everything he says made me so angry in that scene. Um, Great. And I don't know. I, I don't know. Like, I see where they're coming from, but I mean, it's still, I kept going back and forth with that scene, whether I felt it was completely unfair or like totally fair, but still Xander was annoying. (laughs) Well, that's always the case. That's always going to be true. I, I I have a note to return to this later, but I think it's a time to bring it up in that, like, I actually think that this episode is, as usual, um, well, as usual with episodes about Angel, um, it is a peak Xander is a dick episode. <laughs> yeah. Because Seriously, actually, though. not only is he a dick in this part, because he says, like, you're harboring a vicious killer, it's like, actually, no, he's already, like, saved her from during Beauty and the Beasts. Like, he's already done some good... And, like, obviously he's not a vicious killer because Angel wanted to kill her last time, and now they're, like, not... He's not killing her. Now they're doing Tai Chi. Okay. Right. Tai Chi is the, the least violent of morning yeah. exercises. The opposite of murder. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um... 
But there's later in the episode, Xander, when, you know, Faith is is on the way to kind of get Angel. Uh, Xander, Nicholas Brennan decides to turn Xander really smug at that moment. Mm-hmm. And what does he say? He's like, he's talking to Buffy and he he's just like talking to her in such a smug way. I have to look up exactly what he's saying to her, but where he says that like, she has a head start and like, you know, she's, she's going to get your boyfriend and all this stuff. And he's being such a fucking dick to her. Yes. I mean, yeah, he is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's really, yes. (laughs) Oh, okay. This is denying that he's acting. He's acting like he's like in a fifties noir, like film noir movie or something. And, like, she's talking, and Buffy says, like, what did you tell her? And Xander says, only what everyone knows. She's a big girl, came to her own conclusions. And, like, the way that he's acting in that scene is so gross. Yes. <laughs> even as much as he sucks, like, it did almost feel out of character somehow. That sort of affect that he took on in the last, like, third of the episode. And the fact that it was so quickly forgiven, also. That he's able to behave that way and, like, you know... Well, I yeah, like he's able Xander's, to go back to being like goofy Xander next week. You he's know? often very easily forgiven, though. All too easily forgiven. Yeah. <laughs> Way too easily. No one ever hounds him accountable for like the time. Like I'm like, remember that time you were a dick every time? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, Xander. <laughs> and yet I continue to save your dumb life. <laughs> um, so this is also the first time that we kind of see Xander and Faith pair up. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's also big. Yes, because they eventually bang so well i mean even more than that like they eventually bang and then there's the point where they're all trying to say like oh who should talk to faith um when she's going bad and he says like oh we have a connection and right they all seem to think that like his only connection with her is that um they had sex but they actually did seem to see eye to eye earlier but they both use each other in a way because like xander hates angel and he is like, okay, I can't get one Slayer to wake up and kill him, so I'm going to get this Slayer to do it. Mm. And I really feel like Faith is just using Xander um, as, like, the only... I don't know, she wants to feel part of the group, so maybe by aligning with him, she feels like she can get, like, a ticket to the in-group in some way. I don't know. So it, it feels yeah. like they both are just kind of, like, a pawn in the other person's master plan. Because they're both kind of marginalized characters, you know, as far as the group goes. Like, she's completely outside of the group, and he's kind of the least integral component. So they have that in common. Yeah, that's true. And, like, well, but the thing is, so here, I'm going to go with that again. Xander's mad because he has a crush on Buffy, and Buffy's not going to fuck him. Faith is mad because she has a crush on Buffy, and Buffy's, like, with the other guy. Um, and I feel mm. like both of them are kind of coming from the same, like, jealous, I have a crush on you, and it's not well-received, so therefore I want to kill Angel. Honestly, this is, like, just, like, two people who like Buffy teaming up to kill Buffy's love interest. Yeah. Which I'm sure is the plot of, like, a lot of movies. I just can't think of them. <laughs> but, like, it's, like, literally two people who are in love with someone are just like, you know, we both love Buffy. Let's just kill her boyfriend. And one of us eventually will end up with her. Yeah. Seriously. I mean, I prefer it be faith. (laughs) Wouldn't we all? I would love it. If after season three, if it had ended differently, season four, instead of Riley, even though I love Riley, if season four was like Buffy and faith, giving it a try. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You brief tangent. You love Riley. Um, I don't love Riley. That's like a, that's a probably just like, I tend to speak in hyperbole, but, um, I I am a Riley apologist and I will own that because we'll be tuning into next season. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a Riley Riley apologist and we've talked about a little bit on the show, but yes, when we get to season four, you will hear me consistently (laughs) say that Riley is a better option for Buffy than Angel, the brooding high school boyfriend, or Spike, the literal sexual assault person. (laughs) Well, when you put it in those terms, I guess I do agree. I've been converted. (laughs) It's a very easy conversion. (laughs) Don't encourage him, Brian. (laughs) No, always encourage me. Uh, I'm I'm encourageable, but not incorrigible. Different word. Ooh. 
Mm. <laughs> Debatable. Um, yeah, I... <laughs> I just think that, like, that's why they team up. They're both jealous, and, like, that's why it makes the team up happen so easily, and it does feel organic, it doesn't feel forced. It's like, hey, aren't you mad the Buffy is hanging out with Angel because you want to fuck her? Me too! Let's team up about this. Wow. That's a great reading. I love this queer as fuck reading. Seriously. But, so I always, like... Well, okay, go ahead. I've, I don't know. For me, Faith has always read as, like, queer. Um, and I'm not, so... I, I'm going to be a piece of shit. And I get, like, a little frustrated sometimes when people are like, no, like, you know, like, Disney characters are queer. And I'm like, no, they're coded, and it's in a negative way. Like, I always feel like anytime a Disney character is coded queer, I don't like to consider them queer because I feel like it's always, like, a really bad, like, stereotype, like, villain. And I'm like, yes. meh. Um, but, like, with Faith, I think she does read as queer and, like, someone who maybe, you know, because she's supposed to be younger, maybe she doesn't realize it yet, and just, like, but she clearly has a crush on Buffy. Like, I feel like, I don't know how it wasn't, because Joss Whedon has said he didn't write it that way on purpose, and I don't know how it wasn't written that way on purpose, but it really comes off that way. Let me just say that all of the queer Disney villains are misunderstood, as queer people often are, and they're often, should they often should be the heroes of the story. <laughs> Um, and I saw an amazing tweet the other day that was about how Mufasa was actually like an asshole who like didn't care about the marginalized people in his tribe, in like in, in his kingdom, and he often denigrated his queer dark skinned brother Scar, and that's what I think the movie we actually need to talk about. But Very anyway, re- <laughs> redeem Scar. Okay, honestly, yes. Hashtag that's my new hashtag campaign. Um, so. On the show, I mean, like, on Buffy, uh, the whole... We've often talked about how, like, her relationship with vampires is often, like, a a metaphor for sex, right? Like, you know, she allows Angel to bite her, and it's very intense, and she kind of orgasms, and there's, like, the original thing where the the master kind of bites her against her consent, and it's supposed to be kind of, like, a metaphor, and it's, like, being violated and all that stuff. In her white dress, no less. In her white dress. And then I do think that there is a level of like fighting as sex on the show as well. Yes. And I do think that like Buffy and Faith confront each other in this episode because of what you're talking about. Like Buffy and Faith have to come to their first conflict here. And it is a very like, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's lengthy. That, they're, that and they're making, those, like, they're making those like sexual, like, Serena Williams like hitting the yes. ball noises while you know like they're fighting and it's very yeah I do think that they are working out some issues when they fight about like their their relationship to each other and as Ian knows I always like to bring up I think that it's very important that we talk about how Buffy and Faith have different fighting styles but I won't <laughs> bore everyone with my with my freshman year turn paper <laughs> turn paper <laughs> I mean, who's, I, who's got the more roundhouse kicks? I I totally noticed that this time around when you were talking because you talked about that on Faith, Hope, and Trick. Um, yeah, I totally because I was like making gifts of like the last fight in this episode, and I was like, oh, Faith does do like have a totally different fighting style. So Brian, when you watch episodes with Faith and Buffy fighting, and it's really evident when they fight each other yeah. mostly. Um, Buffy is very quick and will and and is more like. Um, well, she's just faster, and she may not go for, like, the strongest hit, but she just hits really fast. And if you watch Faith fight, she does a lot of clunky moves where she'll leave herself open. Like, she'll want to do, like, a really big move, like, maybe, like, put her boot on your face or something mm-hmm. that will take her, like, three seconds to perform. And if you were playing, like, a button masher in your parents' basement, you would, like, <laughs> leave yourself open and vulnerable while you were doing it. But she goes for, like, these really powerful punches, but, like, she constantly gets kicked her ass kicked because she can't move as fast as Buffy. Mm. Um, but it's really interesting, and I just love talking about it. But um, <laughs> it has literally no bearing on the plot at all. But It says involved, so much about them as characters, though. It does. I think it actually is supposed to be a comment. Like, I'm sure if we one day were to get, like, the fight choreographer on here... That they would be genuinely fascinating. Like, they would say that, like, they they have different personality... They have different fighting styles, and they're supposed to reflect their personalities. Or, like, Buffy's was more natural, and then when Faith came along, they needed a way to show that she was, like, 
cocksure and like not but not as like thoughtful in the way that she moved but just like she wanted to just beat someone's ass but didn't have as much finesse as buffy did someone say cock (laughs) (laughs) wow but no like admittedly sometimes when i just like watch one-off episodes i'll fast forward through the fighting scenes what um i know isn't that awful um (laughs) seriously but it this i mean it makes me think like it really does say so much about the characters and i feel like any interview i've read or listened to of sarah michelle geller's where she does talk about the show her talking about how exhausting the choreography of the fights is is one of the things she first mentions. Yeah. You know? And it is interesting to think about it in those terms. I always... I I wonder how they're written, you know? Whenever I read that, I always think, yeah, but, like, it was very obviously a stunt double for, like, 95% of that. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Oh, my God, and I kind of love this Faith Buffy fight. The stunt doubles, again, are so so obvious. There's so much stunt double, I know. (laughs) And, like, it's so funny, because, like, you'll just be watching them fight, and you'll be like, that is not Sarah Michelle Gellar and (laughs) fighting, and it's very clear. We all know it. And they always do those, like, Whose nose is that? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Um, But I do, I, I love watching them fight. Like, for I, I would I would watch like a collection of their fight scenes, Brian. Like I never like for me that's like I think Buffy and Faith have the best fight scenes in the show. Like I love watching them fight. Um maybe like a close second would be Buffy and Glory, but Buffy and Faith always smash the shit out of all their surroundings, that's which true. I love. <laughs> that graduation day part one fight, baby. Yeah. And like in this that's one they one. smash through Angel's doors, Faith throws a chair at her, like Yeah. They're all fucking bolts of lightning are coming their way no less yeah (laughs) job well done girls um let's talk about the ending scene where buffy and fate where buffy kind of comes to faith and says that she can trust her what do you think about that like confrontation or not confrontation but you know that that little chat i view it as like almost like oh they had a fling just in the beginning of this episode they mentioned oh we're just friends made cutesy dating references and it almost feels like this is their breakup Hmm. well it's funny because it's buffy is really trying to salvage she is and faith is like oddly like nope you already ruined it too bad Hmm. or if we're thinking about this big fight as their like first sort of you know metaphorical tryst Mm. it's almost like you can look at that fight as sort of like this this crime of passion heat of the moment sort of Mm. spontaneous interaction between the two of them and then Buffy going back afterwards to sort of rationalize it and be like, okay, despite what happened, we can still just be friends. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I looked at it. That's fair. Yeah, I'm trying to see how it projects onto a relationship, onto a conversation you would have in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, it's it's really hard. It doesn't really directly for me correlate onto any kind of big conversation like a breakup or a first fight or something maybe it is post first fight like maybe it's her saying like you're scared to open up to me but i want you to know that you can which is like some a conversation that people have to have on the road to like being vulnerable to each other and maybe that's that is one of the things that we know about faith is that she cannot become vulnerable to buffy and that's not really out of any fault of faith like in a lot of ways people only become vulnerable because they feel safe enough to and like does Buffy ever create that space for Faith to feel vulnerable you know I mean and talking about vulnerability right like so when we have the Faith character interacting with the Scoobies she kind of gives like a glossy image of her life like oh I wrestle naked alligators and yeah my life was tough but I'm a bad bitch like whatever but, like, when she talks to the mayor, it's like, oh, my dad used to say this to me. And, like, this reminds me of my stuff with my father. And, like, obviously, while, you know, maybe we're supposed to not like Faith because she goes into the hands of evil, like, she feels more comfortable telling the mayor about, like, her actual backstory. Like, mm. what does the mayor do to make her feel safe and appreciated that Buffy and her friends really weren't? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting conversation about the nature of evil. Like, you know, we were just talking about evil. Yeah, Disney the temptation characters. of it. Like, they're not necessarily evil because I don't think Faith is bad, but I think that like it's clear that she needed a space to come out and talk about her terrible upbringing or whatever. Um, and like, the mayor was the first person to provide that, mm. and Buffy and her friends just couldn't. They they were almost there. They were almost there. Part of it was like she didn't she didn't want to to have any part of it, and part yeah. of it was I think that Buffy and her friends just weren't 
the right group for her. Like, she didn't have to go right to evil, but yeah. um, it just is an interesting conversation. And I think we see a lot of that beginning here. And Because I also think on some level, like, I would imagine, like, Faith being like, Buffy, you really don't care about me. Like, this whole episode, not that people think of their lives as episodes, except I do. But, like, <laughs> in this whole episode, Same. like, you I mean, haven't... Yeah even included me in all this shit and then you came in and kicked my ass and like you really don't care like you haven't tried with me i've been here in sunnydale i don't know anyone like you could try to include me yeah i mean yeah yeah you're right and i mean <laughs> i also do think of my my life as the seasons my show was canceled a while ago i'm just haunting the internet now and my podcast <laughs> oh my god <laughs> the web series is coming Ian's, soon Ian's trying to wait. get picked up by netflix yeah <laughs> <laughs> hoping hulu gives me a season um yeah i think that because like buffy didn't like faith i mean she liked having the company but she didn't really oh god this is like my dating life she didn't like faith but she liked having someone there um mm. huh. someone take that from there <laughs> i think it's another good example of like i i mean i don't know how you two align in this camp but i for the most part enjoy buffy as a character yeah um i love her but i i really don't think she's necessarily a very good friend and i think this is a good example of her not being necessarily a very inclusive spirit you know she didn't necessarily make overt effort to try and welcome faith in yeah i mean and i don't think she does it really throughout the series or to even let that many people into her own life. But she expects a lot from people, which makes her kind of challenging to like sometimes. Yeah, I I always say that Buffy's one of the few shows that I love it, and the main character is my favorite character. Yeah, um, I, I do love her as a character yeah. as well. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, her loner, I'm the only one bullshit. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I get it, though, because, like, we all have our shit. Um, so I don't mind her. I like it. That's why I like her better, because she is flawed. Like, I mean, I like a flawed character. Um, she's not perfect. Um, yeah, I think, I don't think she wanted to let Faith in, and I don't, like, Willow, I th- Willow and Cordelia both immediately didn't like her, like, I feel like, I don't, they were more like, oh, cool, it's another Slayer, but then, like, Willow was like, mm, no, um, and Cordelia, of course, is, doesn't like, <laughs> because she's Cordelia, so, of course. Of course. Um, and Xander likes her because she's hot, like, that's about it. And they could both team up against Buffy when they're both scorned lovers or whatever. Um, but also, so in this episode, a thing that I wanted to discuss, um, because it's a prelude to the next episode, they start to ramp up the, like, Willow Xander. And, oh boy, those scenes fall completely flat for me every time. Like, I am never once buying it, and I never once care about it. Um... And that awkward scene in the library when Giles is, like, kind of mad because of Gwendolyn Post and he walks over and he's not paying attention and they're kissing. Uh-huh. I don't know. Like, half of me is like, well, they're hormonal teens and, like, teens want to, like, stick their things and everything. So, like, I guess it makes sense. But, like, I think the only one I ever, like, think is cute are Oz and Willow, because Oz is really... Char- like, I, I want to date Oz, that's why. <laughs> like, mm. Oz would be the only one I wanted to date, um, and I'd want to be Cordelia. But, like, I don't know. Like, I'm never... Those scenes are so flat to me. Like, even... Not even just because, like, oh, I know Willow eventually comes out. It's just, like, I don't know. I don't buy it. How do you guys feel about those scenes? I do love that soft, acoustic, strumming suite that is associated with every Willow Xander scene. <laughs> that oh that pulls on the heartstrings. Um, I don't know. I kind of enjoy the two of them together. I mean, I love that scene in the homecoming episode when they're, you know, getting dressed yeah. and everything. It always makes me feel 17 years old all over again. <laughs> um, I don't know. I kind of felt that it was a convincing storyline for those few episodes. Um, and sort of, you know, like there was so much building. I mean, from like episode one of the series, you know, there was so much sort of building up of that relationship. I felt like it had to come to a head eventually. And this might as well have been the season to do it, you know, final year of high school and everything. Um, I don't know. I, I'm I'm pro that union. Right. I, maybe you're both ends of the spectrum and I'm somewhere in the middle. I think when I was younger, when I first saw the show, it made more sense. And I think that's because when you're young, you get into that idea that like, or maybe it's like, you know, 
a wish fulfillment type thing. Like you want your best friend to ultimately maybe be your partner or like you have a crush on your best friend. It's a very high school situation. And so it seems more real when I was younger, but now looking back on it, and honestly, I kind of blame Nicholas Brendan in a way. Like I actually <laughs> feel like his acting in those scenes, like there's this one, I don't even know if it's this episode or Lover's Walk or whatever, where he's like, he's just like, whenever he talks about how cute Allison Hannigan is, I don't buy it. Um, he's or whenever smarmy. He's just so smarmy. Yeah, and I just, and, and I mean, it's not because Allison Hannigan's not cute, because she's very, very pretty and very sexy, and she's the best person ever. But like, I just don't, I just don't buy it when he's saying it. And so maybe now I, I think it's just like a lack of conviction on his part doesn't make me buy into the relationship. And I honestly, I don't know. It's not seeing Willow cheat. I, Cause I don't think that's very much in her character. I don't know. Not, not the saying that like cheating is something that only certain people with a certain character do. I think it's, I don't know, something that everyone kind of wrestles with at one point in some sure. way. But yeah. But it doesn't, just I guess the way, when when I see them kiss in Homecoming, it reminds me of like Janice, Ian, and Damien kissing at the end <laughs> of the And I feel like they should have woken up at that very moment and been like, ew. <laughs> like, yeah, they should have just been like, no, this is wrong. I agree, yeah. <laughs> yes, I hear that. I do hear that. Um, so do we want to go to Lover's Walk for just a little bit? So so. I mean, uh, well, before before we digress, I think we just need to take a moment and talk about that beanie Buffy wore at the beginning of Revelations <laughs> that said bomb, bomb on it. I'd wear that. <laughs> oh my god! I might be wearing it right now, for all you know. Frankly, um, it's one of her more absurd fashion choices, and I do love it. <laughs> I adore it. <laughs> I actually. Uh, I. Go ahead. I tried to make. I was like trying to figure out if I could somehow make a like black beanie that had bomb written on it to put on my Buffy figure for the cover of this podcast, but there was no way that was happening. Oh, those would be some tiny little rhinestones. (laughs) Tiny little things. Tiny little rhinestones. What were you gonna say, Matthew? Um, I forget. I interrupted you to discuss the podcast. I forget what it was, honestly. Oh, I was saying I just give the hat an A because it's it's an A hat. Um, oh, all right, so Lover's Walk. There's a lot going on in this episode, but I I don't know that I have a lot to say about it. Because... I mean, should we start by sharing our SAT scores? <laughs> oh my god, I love when Willow says, Buffy, 1430, you kicked ass. <laughs> yes. And I love that um, Cordelia... I mean, Joe Reed said this in one of our earlier podcasts, that like that was a very like big trope back then on TV. Like, Ooh, look, the character you thought was ditzy did so well on their SATs. <laughs> it did feel very Clinton era. It yeah. really did. And, <laughs> I, and I just love it. It's like, everyone did really well? Like, what? <laughs> Xander did not do well, however, because... But... Well, Shocking. Um, God, I don't even remember. But yeah, um, I don't know. Um, I... I think the reason this episode doesn't quite... I don't quite get it up for this episode is because I do love Spike, but I don't love his storyline. Um, and I also just... Like uh, like I said, Oz is the only one I care about. It's because I want to date Oz. I, I would love... Oz is what got me into the show because I did a fucking crush on him. Um, mm. I wanted to be Faith and I wanted to date Oz. Or I wanted to be Faith and Cordelia. Um, and Oz is the only one who's like hurt feels real. I mean, aside from Cordelia getting, like, impaled, but, <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know, they all feel like, I don't care, like, I'm like, oh, yeah, of course Xander and Cordelia would break up, like, who thought they weren't going to break up, um, and, like, I don't I, know. I don't, so, I think that, I mean, so, Brian, um, I don't know how familiar you are with this podcast, but we are Cordelia stands on this podcast, and we oh, do, uh, do not tolerate any Cordelia, any anti-Cordelia language. God and, forbid I were to yeah. think anything other than than pure adoration for for okay. Miss Chase. I also I also stand for Cordelia. Good, because I think that it's really interesting, right? So, one of the really long ongoing critiques, which we have painstakingly chipped away at in this podcast, is that like Cordelia doesn't belong in the group. She has no purpose. She's kind of aimless. 
Cordelia has so much to do on this show, and she's amazing. She's fucking integral. Let's but, be real here. But Let's I do. She really is. She's more integral than Xander. It's Buffy than Will, than Willow than Cordelia than Oz than <laughs> I don't know than everyone else than Xander. Yeah, Jonathan. And Jonathan than Xander. So, um, but I do think that it's like it's interesting from a writer's perspective, from a writer's room perspective, to kind of be like, when does Cordelia not associate romantically with the group anymore and like when do we stop this and why do we stop this and mm-hmm. for Cordelia I think that this impaling was coming for a long time in a way because we've talked about how Cordelia for no reason no monetary compensation it's not making her cooler there's no benefit she continues to do good she chooses to be a part of the Scooby gang mm-hmm. when there's no benefit for her but she wants to help people um, and she'll eventually go on to do that in Angel. So, like, she is, like, a do-gooder, even though the show wants to play like she's bad. But um, this is the first time that she... I think it's the first time that she's actually been seriously hurt. Yeah, and it wasn't yeah. even really battling evil, but, like, it's just by association with the group. It's mm-hmm. the first time that she faced, like, real physical harm. And it's actually the first time... It's not the first time that any Scooby faced harm. Like, Willow was in the hospital and becoming and stuff, but, like it definitely feels more life-threatening. Like, we know Willow is kind of going to be okay. Like, yeah, she's in a coma, but, like, she hit her head. It was fine. Like, yeah. Cordelia... And get- also, we didn't have to deal with that harrowing three-second moment where we think we're watching Cordelia's funeral at the end of the episode. Oh, my God, that fake-out. <laughs> I fucking hate that fake-out. Bastard. I know. Who directed this? Who do I have to send a letter to? A it it feels, one? like, so fucking silly, right? Like... Yeah, it's a really bad fake out and like an unfair one for a show like the show does humor really well but it's almost like an unfair fake out like we don't need to yes tonally it is not the show as as we know it yes correct yes yeah (laughs) so I think that really we had the Cordelia impale coming for a long time because Cordelia keeps actually doing good shit and like I don't know they just needed to I don't know, shake up her character or do something and like yeah. those real consequences after she constantly risks her life actually does you know allow her to disengage from the group and I actually think that the end of season 3 Cordelia is an amazing arc which I'm sure we'll talk about at length Yeah, mm. but like Cordelia from the mid to the end of season 3 is actually really badass agreed because even if you don't even if like a, a viewer of Buffy weren't to go on and watch Angel and see her continue to grow from there. I think you kind of basically see a sort of like little example of her entire character arc just watching her on Buffy through yeah. to the end of season three. You know, okay. her going to prom with Xander. I mean, despite the fact that she's, well, not with Xander even, but just going, you know? Yeah. yeah. I would agree with that. And like, I don't know, like in the fact that she, like, you know, in graduation day, she has no stakes in that group anymore at all, but she's still mm-hmm. like a big player in the plan. She slays her first fucking vampire, which makes me cry every time because I love her so much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I also, so like, sorry, no, so we've said this before, on, um, and it's mostly in reference to when people ask if they're more fans of like Angel or Spike or Riley. Um, we've said like, who Buffy is dating is probably the least interesting aspect of the show. There's so many beautiful yeah. things to talk about on the show that like, who Buffy is boinking kind of like ranks really low down. Um, that's kind of why this episode doesn't always hit for me. It's because like it kind of is leaning into like the Dawson's Creekness of the show, mm. as opposed to like all the other really interesting things that could be happening. Agreed, because I feel like the overall like thesis of the show of like love hurts um, was just sort of nailed into your head, like several times at the end of each act of the episode, you know? Like, oh, totally. Like constantly being hammered on. Exactly. Like, and, you, and you have Spike coming in and being sad about Cordelia, and you have, um, you know, like, the whole group, because right now, currently, the whole group except for Buffy is dating each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, it's... I think that the writers just needed to do something to be like, okay, we can't have everyone in harmony all the time in the group so we have to do this so this was just like an episode born out of a necessity of like moving the chess pieces around yeah but so and i don't see it doing anything 
that much greater. Agreed. I, Agreed. Every time, every time I, I bring up Dawson's Creek because every time Cordelia is impaled, I feel like I'm about to hear Paula Cole start. <laughs> and like, <laughs> like up your morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't sing anymore. We're gonna have to pay for the rights. I know. Seriously, God forbid. <laughs> don't don't sue me, Estate of Paula Cole. Okay. <laughs> Listen, I she, love like, you. I love your work. Grammy for best new artist, she will sue. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, do we want to talk about Spike? Yes, Sam. <laughs> I find him kind of enjoyable on this episode, on like a one-off level, because I'm not a huge fan of Spike's character. Oh, really? And I'm actually kind of curious, like from like a showrunner level, if they had visions of bringing him back for season four at this point. Or if, like, the reception of him in this episode played a contributing factor to him coming back eventually. Right? Like, yeah. I mean... He is funny. I mean, I laughed at a lot of his lines sort of almost despite myself watching this episode again for the first time in a while. Right. Like, he... I guess he feels necessary because no one's saying it to Buffy and Angel. Like, none of that group is talking to Angel, so no one's telling Angel you're not going to end up together. I mean, Joyce eventually does, but, like, that hasn't happened yet. But for me, the, like, one of the big reasons... So, like, the two things this episode are about is, they're, you know, the the high school couples, all the friends, what's going on with their relationships, and then Spike telling Angel and Buffy about themselves. And mm-hmm. while I enjoy watching someone tell someone about themselves, and I often enjoy doing it, I don't think it was anything that anyone in the... Any one of the viewers didn't already know. Like, we were watching it, and we knew this already. So it's, like, not... It doesn't feel like anything new while it is new being said to the characters. Like, it just feels like, yeah, I get it. Like, okay, yeah, I get it. I know they're never going to end up together. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Mm. But I do enjoy, like, drunk, lovelorn, miserable Spike. Um, (laughs) Like, when he, like, I get, like, upset. Willow has the best cry. Allison Hanning is such a good crier. And, like, when he, like, pulls her hair and tells her he's going to stab her if she doesn't do the spell and she's crying, I'm like, no. And then immediately Mm. sits down next to her and is, like, upset. Um, I enjoy that. <laughs> there, there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't love. Um, so yeah, I, I, like I said, I just don't love Spike in general, and I don't love Spike in this episode. But that I'm moment, I'm glad where... you feel that way because I feel like he's so universally loved, and I've never been someone who's really enjoyed him. <laughs> I feel like you two There's... are breaking my heart right now. Oh, are you? Are you a Spike lover? This marriage might not work. Um... <laughs> um, well, there we go. I All marriages work on complimentary views. I. I love Spike in a way, like, I don't know, like, for me, he, I don't know, he just works for me. I like Spike, I want to have dirty, dirty sex with Spike, especially when he's dressed as a douchebag, um, like, Adam Ant, whatever, punk guy in the 70s. Yes, while, while we're collectively destroying a house in the process. Yes, I would, like, that, like, who doesn't want to have house-destroying sex, you know? Um, Seriously. But, yeah, so, I'm, I'm sorry, I interrupted you, Matthew. <laughs> no, it's fine. One of my favorite lines in this episode, though, and one of my favorite lines that Willow says is when Spike is, um, like, threatening her and she says, there will be no bottle in face and there will be no having of any kind. Because, <laughs> as I've said, Spike is also a sexual assaulter. He is yeah. a sexual assaulter. And there is the threat there that, like, he kind of, like, threatens that he will assault Willow if he doesn't do this for her. Yeah, so, even, like, when you find him at his most gleeful towards the end of the episode when he's saying that he's going to find Drusilla, tie her up, torture her, and make her fall in love with him again, I was like, oh, okay. All right. The, yeah, there's... The show does it a lot, especially early on, where there's a lot of talk of stuff like that where, like, if you just, like... It's like sexual assault dialed back one notch where they don't say the word, but, like, they're dancing yeah. around it. I'm jarring sometimes. Kind of like, you know, racist family members who aren't, like, using racial slurs, but they're, like, almost getting there. Like, that's what it reminds me of, and it's, like, kind of off-putting sometimes, right? Yes. Just to raise for continuity purposes, I do like that we get um, Spike-Joyce interaction in this episode, because as we do know, Spike and Joyce had a little bit of connection. Yeah. Not not a Hood of the Police car connection, but something. And they, <laughs> uh, like, have their little tea and sympathy party. I want to 
police, hold of the police car connection with Spike, though. Like... Okay, we get it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, like a Joyce Spike crossover is a crossover that never was, that should have been. I, oh my god! They... I wish they'd had like a cooking show that aired in like the final thirty seconds of an episode or something. Oh my god! They yeah. would be they would be like the Martha and Snoop Dogg of the seriously. I would watch they... that. If he's just that. like microwaving blood while she's, I don't know, making a roux on the stove. You and they know? have like passions on. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'd totally watch that. <laughs> I'd watch. Um, and then we have Angel. I like, I love, always kind of love Joyce's uh, reaction to Angel where she's like, I'll stake you myself. And like, yeah. just, like <laughs> I don't know. It's really funny too because like everyone knows that Angel's back, but I guess Buffy has decided not to fill in Joyce. I guess. <laughs> Thank you, Revelation. The last to know, that poor woman. Yeah. yeah, she like doesn't really get the memo, and so she's like dealing with like seeing Angel for the first time and not knowing that he's okay and blah blah blah. And oh, and that's and then we get that really funny kind of moment where Buffy invites Angel in and they're threatening Spike, and he calls Willow a witch, and she's like, "Willow's a witch," and then she's like, "Xander's a witch." Um, yeah. So actually, if we really think about it, w- Joyce gets a lot of information in this episode. She does. The poor woman. She does. She got a few grays that night. <laughs> she was like, okay, my my daughter is is kind of dating her assailant again. Um, and, and her, her friends best- are into the black arts. And her friends are into the black arts. Like, why did we move to this godforsaken town? <laughs> oh, poor Joyce. All right. Um... Does, do we have any other thoughts on Lover's Walker? I think it's time for us to ask our favorite question, Ian. Mm-hmm. Brian, what do you think Don would have been doing during this ep- during these two episodes? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Well, you know what? I think she would have freaking tagged along to the mansion and gotten that glove around her arm first. <laughs> and probably would have burnt that town to the ground <laughs> and the show would have ended so there would have been no lover's walk because that little brat would have destroyed everything imagine an episode though where like little dawn does get the glove of minigan on her by mistake through her meddling <laughs> and they have to find a way to destroy it while it's on her but without destroying dawn <laughs> uh michelle trachtenberg would be even more lovable than usual in that moment i'm sure <laughs> I yeah. think I think in Revelations, yeah, I don't think Dawn would have done much. I think in Lover's Walk, when Joyce finds out about Angel and Spike, would have been, you know, her finding out. And I think she would have tried to pretend to be tough about Angel. Yes. Like, gotten all, like, puffy-chested. Mm. And Joyce would have probably had to play that scene, like, faux cool. Yeah. And it probably actually would have been funnier, actually, yeah. had yeah. Dawn been there. How about you, what Matthew? What do you think? About what Dawn would have been doing. I just, I just talked about the glove. <laughs> okay, fair. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think the only way she would have factored in is the glove thing because she wouldn't have had a. She doesn't really have any horse in the who's fucking who race of Lovers Walk. She does not. I mean, she had the big crush on Xander, which we know. Um, True. So maybe Ice she cream would have. Face. Been, yeah. She would have been like eleven. <laughs> Yeah, but you still have crushes when you're 11, right? Yeah, no, I mean, like, she, I don't know, what Buffy would have told her and she'd be like, yes, now time to make my move. <laughs> Put on her prettiest. You're mine, Xander. Put you're on her Don, Don, the 11-year-old, having a crush on men's rights activist, Xander. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? He probably would have been into it. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, all right. How do we grade these episodes, Brian? Ooh. Um, On a, we do A to F's here. Yeah. A to F's. Okay. Um, well, I hadn't watched either of these episodes in in a little bit of time. And I feel like Lover's Walk shows up in a lot of, like, top ten lists. Am I making that up? I feel like I see that it pretty really often. It really does, and I don't understand. Yes. And I found that I enjoyed Revelations, and it was kind of packed with more, with more stuff to dissect. So I would give Revelations... I'd give it a, a solid B plus, and I and I mean that well. And lovers walk, I'd, I'd give a B minus because I don't think it's bad, but okay, it just left fair. me kind of cold. I all think, right, all right. I think I would give um, Revelations. I think an A minus. 
and I think I'd give Lover's Walk a solid B. I will say that I'll give Revelations an A minus, and I will give Lover's Walk a B minus. Um, <laughs> Matthew, do you want to switch it up? Like I said, we should do. Yes, yes, <laughs> we should. Okay. Um, so if you want to follow any of the gorgeous people on this <laughs> podcast, you can follow SlayerFest98 at SlayerFestX98 on Twitter. And if you want to follow my lovely co-host, Ian Carlos Crawford, <laughs> you can follow him on Twitter at Ian X Carlos. And if you he want... has a great new Abby. <laughs> oh, thanks. Um, and if you want to follow my lovely and handsome co-host, Matthew Rodriguez, you can follow him at Matthew Rodriguez, one T, a G, and a Z. And Brian? Yes. Where can they By all you? means, please follow me on Twitter, Instagram. You can find me at Brian T. Burns underscore. Brian spelled with an I. T as in Thomas. And there it is. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys, and thanks for being on, Brian. Bye. Oh, it was my pleasure.